Education Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the third Sunday of Easter for the week of April 15th, 2018. And I'm so excited to have you back. I am really excited about digging into this week because I will admit it took me a little bit to think of how this text was going to work this week, but I'm really excited on what I think we can get out of this text. So I'm really excited. I think there's just a lot of things that we can dig into, but before we get into that, just a couple house cleaning things that I'm talking about. There's a couple things that I know I've been talking about and sharing with the podcast. There's been a couple things in my personal life that I've been trying to work through and deal with. So so they've been temporarily kind of put on hold. I'm also trying to kind of wait some things out and see how things are going with a few things before I can really move it forward. So get set, get tight. Uh, I'm I'm excited to have you guys all aboard and definitely let me know if there's people that you feel like should be getting this content. I'm so excited to share this content out. Also, I'll do my shameless plug Uh, This week for two different things. One, for Working Preacher. Again, if you guys haven't checked it out, you really need to. There's a lot of great stuff. And I will say this week, really what kind of opened up this text to me was actually something from the Sermon Brainwaves podcast from three years ago, which I love that they have such a great archive. I'm hoping to eventually have an archive like that. Um, But we'll get into it, what I really took from that. But it's just a great resource. There's a lot of good stuff to really help you dig into this text. Whether you're leading a congregation or just a leader in the church, I would highly recommend digging into that. Help gain some knowledge, gain some different stuff. Also, I'd recommend if you haven't checked this podcast or if you're having trouble with, I don't know where some of them are, feel free to shoot me an email. I can definitely, I have all the archives. I can send you this stuff back out. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking about it. I'd love to kind of get have a little bit of a banter back and forth with you and discussing a few different things. The final one is a new kind of one I'm going to throw out there is the Lutheran Study Bible. I definitely used it this week on a couple different things just to get some different ideas, different questions, different ways of possibly reading these texts. And if you haven't checked it out, I would recommend checking it out. It's a really good study Bible, has a lot of really great questions, and I really enjoy digging into that if I'm having trouble with the text or what are some different ideas or concepts that I can take from this text. So like I said, this is the third Sunday of Easter, and so our gospel text will be from the third different gospel in three weeks. We are moving to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 or 36b through 48. And this is Luke's rendition of Jesus appearing to the disciples. So him showing the peace be with you and trying to show them that he's not a ghost, showing him his hands and his feet saying, you know, do you have something for me to eat, a piece of boiled fish to prove that I am here, I'm not just a ghost, and that this has been foretold. This has been told for for generations and that this should be a witness to you. And this is getting very close to the end of Luke's gospel. And I think part of it for me this week when I was getting into this, it was really difficult when we've been going through Mark and John, Mark and John, lots of John, some of Mark, and then all of a sudden you get Luke, and it's a totally 
change of gears, just a totally different style of writing. And I and I think there's some unique ways we can look at this because it's really easy. And I, I could even tell for myself, it was one of these things of we've had Easter, we had Doubting Thomas, which we know is usually coming. And it's okay, can we just get on with it? Can we move forward? And I there's a lot of stuff here we can still unravel. Then, as we continue through Easter, we're going to continue getting these first readings from Acts, which my little side note on Acts is I wish we spent more time in Acts. I feel like it's definitely a book I need to spend even more time in, but there's so much about the early church, and especially where I feel the church is now. I think it's a a moment that we really need to be contemplating and looking at Acts as what was the early church's struggles that they were going through, and we look at Acts and the letters from Paul, and what are the different things that we can take from that and use to help the church now, because I think there is a lot of things that we can take from that. But as we get from this, I think there's a little bit of context that we have to go, but the reading is from Acts 3, verses 12 through 19. And the reason I say this is, as I kind of read over this, it was kind of like, what is all going on? So, right before this, from verses 1 through 11, we have the healing of a man outside of the temple. And so then Peter, the people around him are kind of just in awe. And then Peter kind of lays down this thing of, you know, why are you amazed by this? We have, you know, we have all this stuff from before talking about how we we were expecting this the savior we you know all of us partially led to the crucifixion but through his resurrection we can be the witness still and and calling them to kind of repent in the aspect of our sins and the different aspects of that and even goes further throughout the verse through See, this goes through 19. If you go through 20 through 26, I would argue it's one of the first kind of altar calls type of things where he's really laying this idea of, you know, there are all these connections back to the Old Testament, back to what we've been talking about and expecting from a long time, and essentially leading to this idea of we need to be laying our sins down and and, and confessing them. And I think it's also, as the church, it's something very powerful that Peter is kind of saying that, in a way, asking for a public confession. And I think as, although Lutheran that I am, I think there's definitely times that I'm not always comfortable with that. And I think it's something that, again, as we're looking at changing times, changing things in the church, is there a way that we maybe need to look at figuring that out in our in our service and being more comfortable with the uncomfortable? In the psalm is Psalm 4, and it's a very, it's a little bit of a different tone. And this is, again, where I kind of use the Lutheran Study Bible to kind of help me get some more direction. And it's, the psalmist is essentially talking about trusting God and not trusting something outside of God when trouble times come. He's watching all these people doing all these things that he doesn't feel like are a sin, that are, he feels that are a sin that's not helping his relationship with God. And so that essentially asking God to kind of still his, his spirit, you know, still his soul that he can, he can just stay 
and be somber, be quiet, and, and just spend it with him and and give God these concerns that we we deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's super, really cool little psalm. It's not very long, eight verses, but really good stuff. The final one is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And again, let's give a little bit of background. First, The first, second, and third John, we're not entirely sure who wrote them, but we do know that it's very much in the style of the Gospel of John. So there's question, possibly some support that maybe it was written by the author of the book of John. And again, he's kind of talking about how we all sin, but it's, it's giving, giving that up, giving, giving that to God and realizing that we are children of God. And, in, and that's the term today I really want to start to hone in on is children of God. Verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous, he being God. And it, it, it we get so used to being called children in church. We forget what that means. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an, I'm an adult, but I don't have kids, but I definitely can kind of see this and I can see it in my own life as being a child. And as I've grown to adult that I don't necessarily always see my faith life as a child. It doesn't matter really how old we are. We are always children of God. So what does that mean? And the other term, and this is what I picked up from Sermon Brainwaves, and I had to go back. Matt Skinner was actually referencing back to the podcast from the week before that Ralph Jacobson said. But they said, resurrection doesn't erase the marks of crucifixion. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking about when you're a child, how often we do stuff and that our parents fix it. Or we do stuff and then our parents have to sit us down and talk to us about how this changes things, how this may not be able to be fixed. You know, if you break the family heirloom or if you, you know, do something that causes, you know, it makes for time to go by and suddenly you don't have time to do everything that you had planned. Things along those lines. And in science, there's, I think, some really, really good examples of this. And it kind of ties in a little bit to what I did this last weekend. This last weekend, I ended up going out with a friend of mine. Uh, high school, my high school biology teacher, I stay in very close touch with. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing biologist. And we went to an undisclosed location. I can't say exactly where, but it was along the Mississippi River. And we went and shot, took photographs of bald eagles and peregrine falcons. And it was incredible, absolutely incredible. And we were talking about throughout the day kind of how this is so different to when he, like when he was a kid or even 35 years ago, how eagles have become more and more comfortable with people, how peregrine falcons have come back. And I've kind of thought about, there's a couple different examples here that of how we're, how we sometimes don't think of what the consequences of our actions are, just like when we're a child in the faith. So the couple that I have, first and probably the most familiar to most people is DDT, 
DDT being a chemical that was used throughout the world, mostly uh, very predominantly in the United States, very effectively in the United States, uh, to kind of kill off mosquitoes, kill off insects that were seen as pests. And everybody thought it was, again, a, a miracle chemical, that it was just taking care of all this. And then Rachel Carson wrote this amazing book talking about Silent Spring and how it's affecting all these things. And as we kind of continued down that road we figured out especially with raptors or these big birds like the bald eagle like the peregrine falcon like osprey that it was thinning the eggs of the eagles to the point where when they were trying to incubate their eggs uh, the calcium wasn't thickening up the eggs enough uh, when they were producing them that they were smashing their eggs and populations were crashing and where were they getting this ddt and and figuring out how it, it it was running through the ecosystem. And side note, and I'll post some stuff, DDT is banned here in the United States. Doesn't mean it's banned around the world. That's my conservation plug of the day. Uh, I'll attach some links below on that. And it, it, it's a very familiar story. And we've watched bald eagles come back very well. We looked at with the reintroduction of peregrine falcons, how it actually took them a while to go back to their natural habitat based on kind of some, you know, changes in the environment and how it took them a while. But they've started to come back to where they were. But that's not always the case. The second case that I'm going to kind of put forward for you today is mongoose in Hawaii. Mongoose is kind of a, it's an animal similar to like a weasel. And it was brought to Hawaii after hearing about how successful it had been when it was brought to the Caribbean. So Jamaica and some of these, because they were having rat problems and it was affecting the sugarcane production. So Hawaii decided in the late 1800s to bring in mongoose to kind of do the same thing. And they had some unforeseen consequences. And the consequences in these case, uh, this case was the rats are die are nocturnal, so they're awake at night, and mongooses are diurnal; they're awake during the day, so they really weren't seeing each other, so they really weren't attacking each other. And the bigger issue, as many of you know, I'm a big bird guy, and with it being Hawaii, with it being island chain of islands there's adaptations and stuff that different animals will make that are kind of more unique to island communities because you don't have as many animals or as many predators so sometimes the stuff isn't as protected and there's a lot of like ground laying birds where they lay their eggs on the ground and as you can assume since mongoose really don't climb trees well they've been starting to notice that there are specific species of birds that are only unique to hawaii that are in high very very high danger are in danger because of the introduction of mongoose into this island these chain of islands and so they've been trying to figure out ways of what to do and how do we try keeping these birds around and again i'll attach some links below and you know as i was thinking about this i also thought about the introduction to this podcast when i made that now four months ago and i talked about it also on the molecular level and i know i haven't talked about that a ton but this one this final example and then i'll kind of try tying this all together 
is kind of a, a sensitive topic and it's something that's of concern and they don't know what the full extent of this is. And it hits a little bit closer to home on, I would assume, probably half of my viewers or listeners, uh, not as much me. And this is estrogen in the water. And the, the reason that there are natural things in the water that sometimes suppress things and have a little bit of estrogen and different things in it, but over the last hundred years especially, we have increased hormones in the water through drugs, but also uh, it's been semi-targeting birth control because how birth control works, it essentially is sending off hormones in the body to trick the body to think you're kind of, to make you more infertile. Uh, and, and there's, you know, reasons that different women do that. And I'm not going to get into that on this podcast because I am by far no expert on that for some obvious reasons. But what they are noticing is with this increased cocktail of hormones that we're throwing into the water supply eventually gets into our more natural streams and rivers and, They've been now finding in like the UK, in the United States, in Canada, and various different places and to various extents based on the amount that they're finding less and less male fish. More and more, if you want to say transgender fish, where they're having reduced size testicles and are also producing eggs. And, you know, there, there's, as scientists are finding this, which was a kind of a discovery in the late 90s, and they're still looking into this. Uh, what does this mean going forward? You know, what does this mean not only for fish populations, but what does this mean for us as we're eating this type of stuff? What is the effect? And, and that's where it's sometimes one of the most frustrating things about science is we don't have the answers right now and it might take a while. And then the question is, is in that while, are we just making things worse? And there's a lot of things that they're looking into. Is it jet? It might not even just be the hormones. Is it the increased temperatures that we're getting and with having water holding carbon that it's acidifying oceans and different things like that? And I'll, I'll have some different things on that below. Actually, one I was watching, it's really good if you have the time. It's definitely a scientific presentation. And if you haven't heard that type of thing, it's it's interesting kind of see how how these different things are laid out. How is research kind of presented to a science community? They didn't do a uh, from what I had heard, it wasn't super super complicated that you couldn't track it, uh, but it made it so that just to give you a flavor of it. If you haven't heard that before, I'd recommend listening. But how does this all tie back? to our crucifixion and i think it ties back to that ralph jacobson quote that skinner was referencing in sermon brainwaves the resurrection doesn't erase the marks of crucifixion jesus when he comes back when he is presenting himself and we we have now seen this in multiple gospels he is not hiding these marks he is not hiding that he went through this he is not hiding the sin that he took on for us, that he bore the weight for us. Like a parent, he he sacrificed his time, his work, his effort for us. You know, and, and that's where if we think about this this parent-child relationship, how often as parents and people realize as you grow older the sacrifices you go through as a parent for your children. 
And we see it in nature, what, how much a parent will fight to protect their children. But it's a sacrifice. And we have to remember, no matter how old we get, we have had our sacrifice for us. And that doesn't erase, unlike, you know, like kind of what we get in our culture, we never outgrow this child mentality in the faith. We never in this life will be considered an adult of God. We are always a child of God. We're going to mess up. We're going to screw up. There's times we're going to leave, have bumps and bruises and scrapes and scars emotionally, physically that are, that are on us. But because of the loving creator that we have, he doesn't look at us that way. One of the biggest things in my life, and sometime I'll probably tell more of the story, but my sophomore year in, in college, I had four deaths in a week and a half while I was at college, and the final one was a relative that I have some deep ties to, and it was kind of the kicker. I was coming off of pneumonia, and out of that, out of this this perceived weakness, physically, emotionally, I had some of the probably most life-changing stuff happen in that couple weeks out of that. And one of the images that kind of sticks with me as I felt like God and I were really communicating well was looking at people as jewels, as diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and that each of us are on a velvet pillow. And as we kind of go through this walk, we see the scars, the skip, the you know, scuffs, the dings, and all this. And as we are interacting together, we help each other kind of buff out and polish to the best that we can. And that's where God, again, comes in, chisels, and works with us. But I think there's a point where God, he does, he will never, he knows they're there, but he doesn't see them in us where we see them. But there's a point where he, I think at times God wants us to kind of have these marks, have these, these dings and stuff, not just to be unique, but to understand and to see where we've come, what we've gone through. Like a child remembering, you know, the, the joy they get on their face when they finally understand something or the, the energy they get when they finally do something for the first time. And they're so excited that they did it, that they've worked hard to do. We should never outgrow that. That's who we are. That's the essence of being a child of God. And that's the energy and the, and the enthusiasm we shouldn't lose. We should have, you know, this childlike faith, which we kind of dumb down to just, well, it's, it's just a simple believing. Yes, there's that, but there's also the simple belief that it can be done. And there's so many times that we complicate things. We make them more difficult than they need to be. And then we have this image of Christ coming to us, showing, I am not a ghost. I can eat fish, but here are the marks. Here are the marks of the crucifixion that I have overcome for you. What things are you putting in the way from you doing what you are being called to do? What walls, what things are you putting up that are putting you from fulfilling the mission that I have for you? Like a parent, you know, encouraging that child, telling them this is the obstacle that you've, you're putting there and you can do it. You can 
get through this because I'm right here with you. Because God's right there with you. Because you have your church community right there with you. That's what we need to be doing. That's the church that we're talking about. That's the public confession that Peter kind of gets into as we move through Acts. That this is a community that we're working together to work through this. And as we're gardeners of this garden and are trying to learn all the different things and realizing what's good, what's bad, what's what's affecting what, because we God didn't give us the perfect blueprint and how everything works. We have to communicate. We have to work together. We have to get through this together. And that's where, as a church, as a community, as a science community, that's what we need to continue to work on continue to push forward through are we doing that i don't know that's a that's a deep question that's a hard question and that's something i would love to have a discussion with every single one of you on but again thank you for tuning in this week i'm so excited that you're here i'd love to hear how this is affecting you what's going on are you able to use this is there things i should change i am open to change because that's what we all need at times. But again, thank you. I'm so excited on where we're going. I'm excited to do this with you every week. I'm glad you're tuning in and listening to this. And I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science. <laughs>